Hey guys, welcome to the One and Done podcast, where it's all about young people being successful in business early in life. We're recording today from the Rollo Insurance Studio in College Station, Texas, and we're excited to have y'all with us today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode number 13 of the One and Done podcast. Uh, today, our guest is Ian Cash. He's the CEO and co-founder of Control. Um, everybody's going to get to learn a lot about a new company today, and I'm excited for that. But Ian, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So he drove all the way down from Dallas. He is a former Aggie, so that's that's how we uh, that's how we connected over LinkedIn. And uh, he has a really cool product. So let's just jump in right there. Tell me a little bit about your product because it is new. It's something you created. Um, let everybody know what that is. Happy to do so. So yeah, Control is uh, the golf system that teaches you to play your best. So you know, I could have you out there. I could have you with a coach. I could try and teach you to swing like Tiger, and you might look really cool doing it, but you're just not going to play as good as Tiger, right? I don't play as good as the PGA coaches that I work with. And that's just because everybody swings different. If I swung like them, it's not going to work. So what we do is we actually have a compression sleeve that you put sensors on. Those motion sensors are watching you at all times and they're teaching you how to play your best. So they're watching how you swing best and then teaching you to repeat it, right? So if you're consistent, it doesn't matter if you're hitting farther, but if you know where that ball is going to land, you're just going to have a better time out on the course. You're going to have less frustration and ultimately your scores are going to drop like a rock. That's what I'm talking about. That's why that's why we're playing golf right after this. I had to get him in here today to test the product. But no, funny story. I actually learned about your product. I don't know if y'all got, did some Facebook targeting or, or something like that. But uh, a link popped up somewhere on my phone and I clicked on it. It was close to Christmas, too. Oh, and yeah. uh, I saw it and I was like, I told my wife, I was like, this is awesome. I was like, I definitely need one of these to help my swing out, you know. But uh, I want to talk a lot about the product today. But I also want to talk about your background and kind of getting there and then also kind of being a business owner. What goes along with that, right? You're not just getting to go to the golf course every day and, you know, swing clubs and learn about your swing. You're helping other people do that and getting a business and getting this product out to other people. So um, let's start with, give, give me the background. Where are you from? Kind of where'd you go? You know, you went to A&M, but what was that like and what led you to where you are now? Yes, sir. Born and raised Texas, uh, down in Houston, just outside actually in Cyprus, a little bit North, uh, went there, you know, loved school. Actually, high school was a good time. And then I think what 90% of that student body ends up coming to A&M. So I was, you know, rode that train right along in all the way from highway six, to highway six, only an hour and 15 out, you know, door to door. Uh, so came on up to Texas A&M University from there was entering the mechanical engineering program. They kind of start you out, you know, generic, try and figure out where you're supposed to go. Mechanical engineering was the answer. Rocked my way into that program. I'll have a story for you later about rocking my way out of that program for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, really picked up entrepreneurship while I was up here. First started, you know, looking at VR. It was just kind of a, a really mind blowing thing built a product that could know where your arm was at any given time, and then got into the entrepreneurship program, learned VR is not the place, not the home, found golf. And ever since then, I mean, it really has been just trying to lower that barrier of entry. I've known so many people that have just bounced off that sport. It's a really hard sport to get into. It's a really expensive sport to get into. And I've had people, you know, dedicate six months of their lives to this and then just say, I'm out. (laughs) That was a really good time. Uh, Mostly frustration. Don't like losing my balls all the time. And I'm gone. Yeah, pay too much for all the balls you're losing. Absolutely. So, you know, we asked, I talked about the industry you're in. You said sports technology industry. Yes, um, kind of explain that marketplace because that's you're the first person that we've interviewed on the podcast who would say you're in that industry. Tell me a little bit about that industry and then how kind of your product 
because you mentioned the VR, go into a little depth on, on the VR and how that fit into the sports technology. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's a pretty powerful story. Uh, so we really started out, you know, sports tech is just really the, the, my favorite thing in the world, to be honest, it's the meshing of all of the brand new tech, you know, we're more connected than we ever have been. And honestly, on levels that I don't think people realize, and then you've got physical fitness and you've got sports and you've got competition. And when you get to merge those two together, I mean, it's just a good time, you know, <laughs> going out there, beating your buddies or just building each other up. You can do it all with that technology. You can do it more efficiently and you can kind of optimize that training more than ever. Um, you know, I'm the king of tangents. I was watching a, a documentary on Ronnie Coleman the other day and that man is, you know, the king. And uh, because we didn't have all the data and all the technology on him, he's got a lot of body problems now. Right. And if we had all that tech that we have today, he wouldn't have overtrained. He would still be on top. And even though he, you know, was the king, is the king, he would be doing a lot better today. So sports tech is just a real big passion of mine. And being able to bring that to golf is humongous. And the way that we ended up getting into it was, you know, have you ever tried room scale VR? No, I have not. Tell me about it. So, you know, small room area. I think it, they support like probably up to a 12 by 12 area. You have cameras in the corner. Right when it first came out, you had to hook up to a big PC, you put on your headset, you put on uh, your controllers, and then you hopped into a world. And I had a bunch of buddies. They were more immersed than ever. Even my parents were super into it. It got all ages. But you kind of get into this new world, and you're like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And then you look down, and you just see floating hands because they're only watching your controllers. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Not wearing anything. And that can really mess with, with your head. Uh, your brain is is used to not seeing floating hands and some people are totally fine. Some people get physically sick when they see that. Right. Yeah. And so like the motion sickness stuff. Yeah. You yeah. can get motion sick in there really easy because things just don't match up or you're rotating and the world's not. And when, yeah, you, when you look down and it sees that, I mean, I had a couple of buddies that had to take the headset off cause it was just violent. It's like my brain does not recognize that my hands are not attached to my arms, which are attached to my body. Right. 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 Uh, so we set about solving that. I mean, it was the, the prototypical story of sat down at lunch with a buddy. We drew stuff out on a napkin. I was mechanical engineering. He was software engineering at a different school, Trinity over in uh, San Antonio. And it was a, a perfect mesh so that we could, you know, really start to work together on that and, and bring your arms into VR with you. Did do that. That was pretty good. We went through A&M's uh, engineering showcase at the end of the year. So I worked with my professors. I built a, uh, what now seems to be a really outdated and ugly looking plastic exoskeleton uh, that could know where your arm was at any given time it was super simple. It was pretty sleek, but ultimately nobody really wants to wear, you know, a big piece of plastic All on right. their arms. We got picked up from there by uh, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship, went over there that summer and um, got basically told to put that product to the side. You're not doing any engineering. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there as a mechanical engineer degree and I'm just, I'm like, what do you mean we're not going to do engineering, right? Like, <laughs> that's all I want to yeah, do. That's what I came here for. Right. And I'm not, I'm not in business, you know, no part of me wants to go out there and market the thing. No part of me wants to go figure out anything about it. I just want to sit there and I want to build. Uh, and I'm really, really glad that they said, Hey, this semester, we're going to curb that. You'll get to build it. Don't worry about it. But we need to find where that's technology belongs. I'm like, what do you mean? It doesn't belong in VR. Like, that's why I built it. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me jump in real quick. Cause I will have a question. So you said when you entered into the, it's, it's the McFerrin entrepreneurship 
McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. So let me ask you about that. You went in with a product. Does everybody do that? Is they, does everybody have a, like an idea in mind that they want to turn into a business when they go in? Not in the slightest. Um, so you have your Aggie Engineering Showcase. It's, I believe they do it once a semester now, although COVID might have changed things. And so what you do is you actually go to Kyle Field. You're in one of the really, really cool halls or not really sure what you call it, but kind of like a, just a really big area over there that just kind of shows. They're having that right now, aren't they? They should be. Yeah. End of semester. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you go over there and it's really a showcase for senior design projects. So your last semester or last two semesters in any engineering program, you're going to be paired with a team. You're going to work with a corporate sponsor on the product they have for you. And then you're going to show all of that off at once and you can kind of, you know, compete and win some prizes, et cetera, right. get some prize money from that. And ultimately you're trying to land a job out of there. Right. And so they bring in all these industry professionals, they'll bring in your sponsors, et cetera. And you'll have, you know, it's a really, really cool day. But what we ended up doing was we got sponsored by one of my professors who is, you know, generous enough to put his name down and say, what you guys have is really, really cool. You know, you're only a sophomore right now. There's no reason that you would ever be invited, but I'm going to sponsor you, get you in and, and have you go show it off. And we had, you know, I wanted to make it a business. My partner wanted to make it a business, but we never had any dreams of like leaving that place with a business. Right. I forget who it was, but one, one lady, very generous lady from the McSaren center for entrepreneurship came up and visited us. And she was like, Hey, you need to get into contact with Rodney Bame over at the, uh, the engineering entrepreneurship wing. So there's actually two wings here. The business school has the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship. Right. And the engineering college, Dwight Look, has engineering entrepreneurship. So they're totally separate things. One is for engineers, one is for business. And she she kind of served to cross that gap and send us in the right direction. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I was saying, we were back into uh, getting into the semester and wanting to really build this product, wanting to engineer it out. Like I said, it was just a prototype that was completely plastic. And Rodney picks up on it and he's like, really cool idea. Go find a home for it. What do you mean VR is its home? That's what we're doing. He's like, how can you prove that to me, right? I mean, you run <laughs> you run a lot over here, honestly, your own thing and you're over here in sales. And if you're trying to sell to people that don't want it, that's never going to work out, right? Yeah. You've so the got, market research you guys had to enter into. 100%. And that was just a, a wild idea. You know, as an engineer, you're always, you know, and, and in my <laughs> my past experience as an engineer, you know, you're really just told what to do, right? You're, I go solve this problem. I've got this problem, solve this problem. The end. Yeah. And being over here and seeing the flip side of that, seeing the business side where it's like, well, now you have to find the problem. Yeah, it's a lot right? more flexible. Absolutely. A lot more creative too. Uh, and so it was like, you've got cool tech. That's awesome but no one's going to buy it if it's not going in the right home. Go out there, conduct what they call, you know, customer interviews, basically find everyone and anyone you can see what problems they face or what problems you can think you think you can solve with this product. Come back to me after the semester and let me know where it belongs. Uh, and of course, you know, we actually entered some classes, so he was keeping track of me the whole time, but ultimately it just ended up being, yeah, coming back at the end of the semester and saying, this is the home. We found the home. Now we can build it. Cause there's no point in spending, you know, millions of dollars or whatever it may be on and time, money and effort on building something that just doesn't matter. Yeah. So, so talk about those customer interviews, you know, because that's something that I, I love that idea because I think in any business you're in, I don't care what it is. Everybody's selling something, right? Everybody has a product that they're selling and you got to find somebody, like you said, a home or you got to find a problem and you're going to solve it. So talk about that, I guess, 
process where you guys are trying to figure out what's a problem we can solve with this piece oh, of yeah. tech. Oh yeah, that's my favorite part. So uh, really what it ended up being was we went out there and we were like, okay, well, we're, our starting point is VR, right? They taught us a lot and I, I give unlimited credit to Texas A&M for, for the reason that we are here today. And it is purely, you know, it starts with the customer interviews and they are saying, you know, seven minutes, that's it. You get three to four questions. People don't want to give you, you know, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of their day, especially if you're picking them up out of nowhere or just on the side of the road or whatever it may be. Uh, but basically go find people that are, that you think are experiencing that problem and then just find out if they are. So you never talk about your technology. That's number one rule is you do not talk about your technology. You don't want to bias them. And I'm sure you've seen this. If you've got a product, I mean, no one's going to tell you your baby's ugly, right? Yeah. So if you sit there and you just keep hyping up this product or asking about this, people are too nice. Yeah. And they're going to sit there and say, that's a really cool idea. You're going to walk away and they're going to go under their breath and say, that dude's destined for failure. Like, <laughs> good luck. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, yeah, we, we learned kind of really rapidly. You start with your friends. You know, I would just say, Go interview your friends first, get comfortable, know people, have them give you feedback because you'll get to do a lot of interviews. You're, it's okay if you screw up. It's not a problem. You just want to take your lessons forward and that's the easiest way. But customer interviews kind of summed up seven minutes, three to four questions. Make sure they are leading questions. They can never be a yes or no answer. Right. And we learned that the hard way. I'll tell you what, I had some, I had some uh, customer interviews that were what? two minutes for yeah. three questions. He's like, <laughs> you asked, you said more words than they did. Yeah. Hey, are you experiencing this problem? Yes. You want to tell me anything else about that? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> sweet. Uh, so yeah, you want to go in you want to, you know, have questions of why, or, you know, can you tell me about a time when you've experienced this problem? Right. And then it's, Oh, I didn't experience this problem. Or let me tell you everything. Let me give you a full story. And then it goes from there. And it's just like this, it's a conversation trying to learn more and more and more about what it is and you really want to enter with a hypothesis right so our very first hypothesis was people need to see their arms in vr right so now i'm going to go in and say can you tell me about a time where you know you wanted to see your arm in vr or tell me about a time you know when you got into vr and you weren't very comfortable or something like that and they'll sit there and if arms come up great if arms don't come up well that's not a real problem right and so we moved from there, we moved into weight training, had a lot of success there in weight training. You kind of only see the mirror if you're able to, depending on what you're doing. If you're benching, you're never looking at that mirror. Yeah. And we were looking at injury prevention because now we can see your arm. We can tell you if you're in the right form or not and keep you from getting hurt. And so that was like super successful because I don't know about you, but I've never met anyone at the gym that hasn't been through an injury before. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and those people sport, I mean, sports technology is big, but usually when you're thinking about that, right, you're thinking about it. Okay. A pro athlete and all the technology that their organization has, or a college athlete and all the technology they have, right. At high school level, there's very little. Um, yes, sir. On the personal side though, where I was going with that is people usually in the fitness industry try and find cheaper sources of sports technology but they they're all about numbers they're all about analytics right getting mm -hmm. bigger better stronger faster whatever it is so i can see how that would have definitely hit it off um in that market so keep going oh yeah i mean you don't you don't really think about it too much you know you see everyone in the gym and you're like oh well they're off doing their own thing they're better than me they know what they're doing and they're just going to get stronger but the short answer is everybody's a gearhead 
You want to yeah. figure out what numbers you're doing. Can you push further? How can you push further? How can you optimize that training? What should you be doing that day? Uh, so that was like a really big opportunity, but it really all came down to one of my buddies was like, Hey, have you tried golf? It's like, okay, well we want to try golf, but we're not so sure we're getting a lot of traction with this weight training. It's like, let me set up a, let me set up a time with one of my buddies. He's actually a PGA professional. This is his life. This is what he does. Just sit down and listen to him. Why, but do, why golf? Why did they ask you that? Do you know? I mean, I think when you associate arms and technique, you just instantly golf. think golf. Yeah. There's, you know, every sport has a very specific technique to it. But when right. you think about golf, I mean, it's more technique than it is strength or athleticism ever, right? Yeah. You can have people out there that can barely hit this thing, but if they're hitting with the right technique and it's going straight, they're still going to do better than me. Yeah, right. And it's true. That's true. <laughs> so, yeah, we I sat down with him. And like I said, most of these interviews, they're, you know, if I was telling anyone, I'd say, hey, Start with seven minutes in mind. Maybe it'll go to 1530. If people want to talk to you for 30, that's great. You're getting more information than ever. I sat down with him. Uh, his name is Nick Bockenfeld. He actually works with me now. And we sat down for what should have been a 15-minute interview. It was two hours until I had to leave for class. Wow. Recorded the whole thing, You know, wrote down notes. As soon as I left that meeting, I called up my partner over at Trinity, and I was like, hey, we're pivoting. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't, to even, golf. <laughs> didn't even give him an option. I said, listen to this. I threw it up on the drive. Just give it a listen. We're leaving. And he gave it a listen. You know, two hours later, he gave me a shout and he's like, yeah, we're going into golf. There's no wow. doubt. And that's how control was born. hundred percent. Awesome. So, so since then kind of right, we understand a lot more about your industry. What, what from that day until, you know, you guys developed the product kind of, what was your mindset? What were you doing? More customer interviews. What, what was that like? hundred percent more customer interviews. So, you know, we start building, but before you build, like I said, you want to save as much time, energy, and money as you can. Right. And so it's every time that you have an idea, every time that you think, you know, you've identified the problem, really what we identified was the problem in golf. And that's threefold, at least from our interviews, which we did like, you know, 500 over the next two semesters, which is, they only wanted us to do 30 for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. But that's how, you know, but that's how, you know, you're building a business, right? 100%. Because the other people doing 30 probably had no product. They were doing, they were kind of honestly in that school mode where the teacher gives you the problem, but you guys were in work mode. You're like, man, this is a, yeah, this is a career. Right. And that's, yeah. that's, I think not to get me off on a tangent or soapbox or anything, but I think that's where entrepreneurs are so so successful is because you don't have another option and because you love it so much that you're going to do 500 when someone asks you to do 30 and it's not because you wanted to be the best it's not because you wanted to outperform everyone at customer interviews it's because you were seriously like this is a really good product yeah and i want to figure out everything we can about it so that way we can be successful when we graduate right and i think if school i think more times had that kind of impact on people on like man they found a career they love it you can be successful and love what you do then more people be successful, but it takes, it takes, you know, you guys finding something you loved in order to do that. And I think that's oh, yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah, definitely prior to that, you know, it was the, the typical, oh man, I got these assignments due. I guess I'll get them done. You do it, but you're not happy about it. Right. You're waking up and you're like, well, I'm going to class. All right, here we go. And then it was all about what happens after class. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure everybody, everybody's experienced that. And that's one of the things, you know, my number one thing, and I know this is what a lot of people say, but it's just, it's so true especially when you get into it is if you don't like what you're doing, you're not going to want to wake up that day and go do it. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So it's, it's all about finding what you're passionate about. And certainly entering college, didn't really know, you know, you're 18 years old. You've been doing what people have told you all the way until you're 18 years old. And then now you're told, all right, pick what you want to do for the rest of your life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. 
I barely could pick what school I want to go to. Exactly. <laughs> right? right. Although I guess that one was already decided for me. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, so I, I mean, another question I have for you is, did you ever think of yourself as being an entrepreneur? Absolutely not. So when did that, when did that hit? When did this job, or I guess I would call it even a project, right? When did that turn into a man, this is going to be my career for, for life. I love it. Right. As the customer interview started, to be honest, um, I had always, I had a, a little bit of experience, you know, engineering for kind of the bigger companies out there. And I left every single one of those going, well, I just want to be, you know, the worker bee that sits in a cube all day. I want to show up to work. I want to leave work and I don't want to interact with anyone. Meetings, not my thing. Talking to people, not my thing. Taking orders, also not my thing. <laughs> uh, so I just, you know, kind of relegated myself to that for the rest of my life. Um, and I was going to be okay with it. You know, you can find passion outside of work, but it's not going to be the happiest life that you could live. Yeah. And when I got into customer interviews, you know, I was, I would say super introverted. wasn't my thing. As you start to talk to people, as you start to, you know, get past that barrier and really make yourself kind of grow out of your comfort zone. I mean, I just fell in love with it. I got to meet so many cool people. I got to learn so many things about whether it was weightlifting or whether it was about the person you just get to learn so much so fast. And then more than anything, you start to understand, I'm actually going to bring value to these people. You know, I am going to go change how, in this case, how people are playing golf. I am going to make this a lot easier for them. And now they'll be out there playing with me, right? We'll be having a good time yeah, and absolutely. Not, not just throwing our clubs and breaking them every, <laughs> every two holes. So before we move on and kind of go into the last part of the show, which is telling me about you and kind of your mindset through this process finish the story finish the story for us of okay so you you, you met nick you're like golf is where this product's going to be get us to where you are now yeah um well that's a much longer story but i'll be quick so we yeah brought nick on actually hired him pretty much like two months after that even though we didn't have a company it was just like yo you want to come in and do this thing all right we went an interesting track and i would i would advise anyone if they can to do this so we actually, instead of when we got to senior design, instead of bringing in a corporate sponsor, like typically you're assigned, you know, called the Halliburton's of the world, they'll pay and they'll have you and four others on their team. They'll give you a project and then they'll say, okay, welcome to the industry. You're going to learn how to operate for this company for the next year. Uh, instead, the engineering entrepreneurship program actually sponsored us to bring my project into uh, the senior design and so I got to handpick my team over in mechanical engineering. Granted, they all had to be mechanical engineers, but I love them to death. Got to handpick them. We went for the next semester. It was about customer interviews. It was about building. It was about figuring out exactly what we needed to do. And then after all of that, it was about finding funding, right? It's, it's great when you're at A&M or, I mean, I assume other colleges, but definitely A&M they have some of the greatest resources you're ever going to have. And it's all free. You know, if you want 3d printers, if you want massive CNC machines, if you want a workspace, if you want to, you know, work on your 3d modeling, whatever it may be, they've got everything here and they've got super smart professors that have all come from the industry and that can give you advice in any area you're looking for. So we did a ton of design, but we didn't have a ton of money to go out and like really pursue all of these prototypes, right? right? So we made a lot of small prototypes, really tested all the fitting, tested everything, made a few boards here and there. Um, but it was finding funding when we leave because AM does give you everything that you could possibly need. But when you're gone, <laughs> that's not going to work out. Right, right. So graduated with everyone, found funding through going through the uh, 
Aggie Engineering Showcase the second time. So we went there when it was first a plastic thing, went there once it was an actual sleeve with motion sensors. And yeah, we got picked up by one of the former vice presidents of Halliburton. And he, uh, he started our seed funding from there, moved on up to Dallas. And ever since then, I mean, it's been 100% passionate grind from seven of us to try and get this thing out. And we sold, went on for sale last October for 30 days flat on Indiegogo and sold to 541 people, which was... So that's what I would have seen it. It was right during that time period. It was only up for 30 days. Yeah, and I'm honestly, I'm, I'm psyched that you got to see it because, you know, we were trying to learn all the Facebook advertising right. and how everything goes out. I think we, it was Facebook, and I'm never on Facebook. But when I opened it up, it was like golf. I was like, perfect. I'm going to click on that. Perfect. Yeah, I'm glad that you like it because uh, we really tried to, you know, hit on that whole thing of, like, we need to personalize to you, and that's just the the biggest gap that people have. Everybody who's listening won't won't see this, but later on today when you see the score at the end of my scorecard, <laughs> you're going to realize why I clicked on that link. So. All right, all right. Yeah, we'll have to get you on and have you try it out. You know, one of the questions I asked was, where's tech wave in relation to your industry, right? Yeah. And that's because every, everybody else I'm interviewing, real estate, you know, insurance, financial advising, tech is impacting them in an industry that's been around long before tech. Right. Your industry is based around tech. Obviously, it's, you know, part of the movement that's going on right now. Talk a little bit about, you know, technology as it relates to what you're doing, as well as it relates to golf, because that's the sport you're going after. Yeah, so tech is is only becoming bigger, right? And I think one of my professors over in Mecky of all places once told us you're never going to have a job because only computer scientists are going to exist in the future. <laughs> so that was maybe a little fatalist, but uh, probably pretty true. So tech is is going everywhere. Like you said, it's it's impacting every single industry. And when you think of golf, we're kind of in the the early baby steps. Right. You know, we're really trying to step forward, but we don't know where. There's yeah. just a bunch of branches. Well, technology before now in golf was like, you know, your wood clubs have metal now. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, you're yeah. moving up. And uh, I mean, man, when we get out there, you're going to see the even just the tech and balls now. It's just insane. People, yeah. people are all over with their material science and running constant simulations to figure out, well, if we put a little rubber here, what happens before we even build it? Um, but tech, you know, outside of the actual development and tech towards the consumer is right now it's just numbers. And that's really, really cool. Like we we're talking about, you love to see the numbers that you're outputting. I want to know how fast I'm swinging. Yeah. I want to know what angles I'm swinging at, but that's for, you know, I view it as a pyramid of golfers, right? You've got the top tier at the very tip of the pyramid. Those are your guys that want to see every single number and they know what to do with it. Right. You start getting into the middle area. People think numbers are really, really cool, but they don't necessarily know. There's a lot what, more of them. That's yeah. why it's a wider part. Yeah, exactly. That yeah, that makes sense. So why they don't know what to do with those numbers, right? If I went out there today and I gave you, you know, your backswing angle or I gave you your spin angle or your spin axis, what would that mean to you? Yeah, nothing. Exactly. No. <laughs> and then you've got the bottom tier and those are the guys that are just trying to get the ball in the air. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so... You know, what it is, is that tech is really just numbers right now. And it's really cool, but it's not going to work for everybody. You need a coach to interpret it. Absolutely. And so that's why a lot of people take lessons. A lot of people take lessons, but not enough. And yeah. if I could, I'd tell everybody to go out there and take lessons. We work perfectly with coaches as well. And the reason I'd say that is you do want to, the more that you understand, the better off you're going to be. Right. right? But we're bridging that gap. So what we do is we don't just get the numbers. And we found this out in the customer interviews. People were like, numbers are really cool. I want to be told how to play better. Yeah. That's the short answer. Yeah. You know, when we go out there tomorrow or today, um, I'm going to do my best not to give you advice in the middle of the Please round. Please do. <laughs> uh, but 
you know, that's ultimately what it is. When you go see a coach, they're telling you exactly what you need to do. Right. Right. And so that's what we do is we don't deliver those numbers. We actually keep them in the back. We process off of them, but we'll tell you, Hey man, close down your club face when you're coming through, what are you doing? Or you need to swing more into out or, you know, even simple stuff like your timing is off. You always have this kind of a backswing. You're always in rhythm. That was way too fast. There's yeah. no way that you just had your good swing, right? Yeah. And that's that's kind of where tech is headed. It's the prescribed training. It's telling people how they can optimize without them having to figure it out and interpret it on their own. Because I've seen, I've worked with a lot of coaches, a lot of PGA guys. They'll give me some numbers. They'll say, what do you do? And I'll tell them the exact opposite of what I should do. I will be wrong and I will hurt my game for it. Right. Cause you're just assuming. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what these numbers yeah, mean. Absolutely. Or even then, like I see these numbers, I got one good swing that happened to have this one and that's not correlated at all. So I'm like, yeah. Oh, well I need a 2.41 degree here. And they're like, dude, what are you looking at? That is not right. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's crazy. And, and that makes sense. Um, tech companies like yourself who are kind of bridging that gap between more than normal players who don't know anything about that versus technology and where it's like at its peak in the right. industry. Do you think that there's there's a lot of growth opportunities with your product outside of golf? Or do you think golf's probably going to be the main, fo not the main focus, it is the main focus, but as time goes on, other things. Yeah, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you've got to demonstrate a lot of focus. We've only got seven people, right? And right. you've only got, you know, are always going to be constrained when it comes to cash. So prove the technology in golf. And I think it's home first and foremost is golf. But outside of golf, there's unlimited applications here. You know, if you're talking about anything from basketball to cycling to swimming to cricket to tennis, all of those, you need, you know, repeatable motion and you need right. your emotion. You don't want to be injured. You want to play your best. You want to, you know, go out there and honestly stomp the competition your way. And we have unlimited applications there, right? You know, I can see even in baseball, you're pitching when is your release point, right? Yeah. Where was your release? And right now, no one's looking at the pitching angle. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was going to ask you is technology, another thing they think, I kind of mentioned earlier, but it's like, okay, yeah, there's tech out, but the big tech is expensive, can't afford it. Only the big, big pros have it or the big, you know, colleges have it. Um, how are you guys bridging that gap and that way of thinking of, no, this is something everyone can afford and it's, you know, you're thinking about it in, in a, you know, not in addition to a coach, but instead of a coach can make a lot of sense because of the price point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm really glad you brought that up. So one of the, one of the, um, launch monitors out there, they give you every number. I mean, they give you every number you could ever want about your club, your ball and how you were moving. I love them to death. They're, you know, upwards of 30 grand a pop. Yeah. We were talking about Easy. the track, man. They're the Cadillac. I love them. I love using them and I have nothing against them. I just, Love it. It's just, do I know what to do with those numbers? And right. you got to have that coach, but coach is the guys that own it, right? So when you're getting down into the the lower tier stuff, uh, I guess lower tier is a, a bad word, but kind of getting into the lower price points, you do have the, you have the feeling that it's lower tier. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so what we've really, really, really striven to do, and I think golf has always been saturated with a lot of that quote unquote low tier stuff and a lot of stuff that doesn't work. And so we are fighting an uphill battle there. I, one of our founders actually, he, his parents own manufacturing facilities. And so thanks to him, we've been able to do a lot of work to really drive down the production costs of all this mm -hmm. and then bring that in. Cause I want this to go out to as many people as possible. My favorite thing on planet earth would be to roll up to the driving range one day and see two, three people 
putting on their control sleeves and playing with it. Cause I mean, really, like I said, it's, it's just a frustrating game, man. Yeah. You just want it to be more fun. Absolutely. And the one time you do play well, it is fun. <laughs> you know, when you, so I have a buddy that just started playing for the very first time. And, you know, I don't know how many people are going to understand this feeling, but they, to me, it's a, a butter swing. When you have that one swing where you don't feel the ball, yeah. you swing through and it's like the ball was not even on the ground. Yep. You chase that for the rest of your life. And I had my buddy, he's never played a round of golf. He had one of those halfway through the round. Did not matter how bad he played after that. He was going to keep trying. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, kind of as we as we bring this to a close, talk to me a little bit about yourself. And and we'll start with business and we'll get more to kind of what you what you enjoy doing. But what is what is your favorite part about owning a business? Right. You're not you're getting outside of your engineer. self. I know it's it, you got to take that That's hat tough. off for a minute. That's it tough. is tough. <laughs> Because people, people are going to think different ways. But what is your favorite thing about owning the business and the business side of what you're doing? I mean, the single greatest thing has got to be the impact that I have. You know, I've worked for bigger companies. Granted, you know, not in like huge capacities or worked my way up over there. I entered the entrepreneurship scene a little bit young. And it's every single day what I do is going to have a direct impact on the success of this company. And it's not just me. It's the seven of us. Every single person has their job. They have their role. They wake up because they're passionate about it, but they know that whatever they do that day is going to, you know, set us up for success or set us up for failure. And I think, I think my favorite analogy is really looking at it, you know, from momentum side, when you're at a really big company, you operate on momentum. So people are constantly coming to you and you're playing react to what they're doing. But when you're a startup and you're brand new, no one's going to come knocking on your door. No one's going to say, Hey, you need to do this. Let's get this done. You have to go out there. You have to show the initiative and you have to make that happen. And that's, I mean, that's unlimited freedom. That's, that's just very, very fun and exciting. Yeah. And that same example, one of the cool things too is in a big company, it does matter at some point, but when you're, when you're starting off, there's very little you can do to affect that momentum. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you can work super hard, come up with some good ideas momentum is barely going to be impacted good 100%. or bad yeah small company you get to impact it good or bad in a big way early on and that's the fun part is like you you ultimately control your destiny right i think yeah. that's a really cool thing as well yeah having a bigger impact it's not for everybody some people like the the uh, lower risk and lower reward but um i love an entrepreneur trade right yeah it's the amount of risk but i mean to, to hop on to the back of that i have a buddy that's a software engineer and he recently left his job because he knew that if he left, it didn't matter. You know, you're, yeah. you're totally you're just dispensable. Oh, absolutely. You're commodity all day long. Exactly. Yep. Um, tell me a little bit about what in your industry, what someone can do. Somebody listen to this, they're a mechanical engineer. They're inspired. They're like, I got a good idea. I think, right. Yep. They want to go out and start doing customer interviews and building something. What, what did you do to make yourself this successful? And what, what would you share with them on? Hey, here's what I did. And this is something you could do too. Not same product, not same thing, but to make yourself successful. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to keep going and you need to tell me when to stop. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't want to be too generic. So direct action steps, but number one, it's going to be discipline. It's really, really easy to feel that, you know, that momentum's going off. And uh, I think my favorite phrase on planet earth is, you know, motivation is fleeting and discipline is forever. And if your, your motivation eventually is going to go. And you need to be disciplined about what you're doing and the motivation will come back. It will keep going. Uh, when you get into it, customer interviews is the absolute number one thing. So whatever your idea is, don't share that idea. Get out there and find out if there's a pain that you think you can solve. Okay. You can't just be out there and say, Hey, I've got this, you know, cool new pill. Will you take it? They'll probably say yes. And then walk away and say, no, 
Um, you want to find out, Hey, this pill, I don't know what it does. It makes you a superhuman and you need to find out, do you hate waking up every day and not being a superhuman? Right? So if you can solve that, that's the way to go about it. And just customer interviews going, you know, you only really need, you have a hypothesis of what you want to solve and you only really need like two, three, four people to say that, oh, this is a trend and this is something that is validated and we should keep going. Uh, versus, you know, you get two, three, four people in a row that say, Hey, this isn't a thing. Then you probably should bounce off of it. And you've got multiple hypotheses. So first find the problem. Next, let's start looking at the solution. You know, is it going to help you if this happens? Is it going to help you if this happens? What is it? One of an excellent, excellent book that is totally free, uh, is talking to humans that that is a like super short read. I read it on the bus at A&M once and, uh, it just kind of really, really sets you up for success and how to do those customer interviews. And then once you've got something, you know, it's about building that prototype as cheap and, you know, as quick as possible, try and speed is everything trying to figure out, okay, can I get people using it? How can I do this? And then, you know, funding is always going to be a part of this. So just depending on the idea, you might be able to get away with doing it, you know, out of sticks and mud, or you might be, <laughs> might need to find some people, but when you have a problem validated, you can find the money a lot easier, right? You can't just say, well, I think this is a good idea. I think that this is really going to help people. If you can prove it and you have, you know, 40, 50 people behind you that say, yeah, build this thing for me. I'll pay you right now. Yeah. Then you're good to go. And you can always talk about your technology after the interview. We found huge success with that. And I guess my last piece of advice on customer interviews is going to be, you need to, at the end, ask if there's anyone else that you can talk to. So you're going to start building your network. So it's going to start slow, but you're going to start really ballooning that network and please keep a list or a graph of that network and actually follow up. So if I give you a contact, right, you ask me, who can I talk to? I get, I pass you my buddy, Jonathan, or something like that. Um, I'm going to be looking to see if you do that, right? I'm going to call my buddy, Jonathan and say, Hey, I got some people coming to you or, Hey, have you talked to this guy? You know, Jack, they, talk to to talk yeah. they were supposed to, and if you don't do that, I mean, you've broken that circle of trust immediately and it's almost impossible to get back. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, no, that's awesome. That's good stuff. So last question uh, of this one, I'm definitely having you back <laughs> on a technology panel with some other people and y'all can get way above my head real quick. And we'll just, we'll just ask some simple questions. Y'all can go off however you want on technology, sure. different industries coming together. Um, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? 10 years from now. I mean, I still see myself with control. I think, uh, as this is gone, we've kind of ballooned and seen the application that it could go out. And it's not just golfers. You know, I was a big basketball player all through high school. I'm getting way into cycling recently. There's way too into cycling as an expensive hobby. I'll tell you what, but, uh, just helping people perform better. I mean, there's not a single person out there that has a hobby and they say, I wish I was worse at this, or I wish that I just stalled where I am. We all want to get better, and I love seeing people get better. I love helping my buddies get into a sport. I love helping my buddies get better at that sport. And if we can go out there and we can do it for all of these sports, make you more efficient, get you, you know, training the best that you can be and not just spinning your wheels for four years, I mean, that's all that I really want. I love it, man. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I look forward to having you back on. Absolutely. Thank you, sir.